love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm here with Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, how are you? How's how's everything going this week? I, I think you have some news. Haley, unfortunately, I feel like these uh, weeks keep kicking off with, like, not my best news I've ever had to share with everyone. Um, but I do I do have some other news. I am – I've hit a halfway mark, and Haley, I am <laughs> – I am halfway through of my time with no running um, because of a stress fracture in my tibia. So, um, you know, the last couple weeks particularly have been a time when that was like the last thing on my mind. Um, So it's been just a while for it to even really get to the front of my brain to share with everyone here. But, um, you know, it has been a time for me where running, again, has not been a priority whatsoever. And so in that sense so far, um, you know, taking downtime and just focusing on things I can do and making sure that like I'm just taking care of my mental health and things like that in this time um, have been a priority and it actually hasn't been super challenging. Um, I was lucky that I was still able to do like as much riding as I wanted to. I could swim as much as I wanted to. Um, I was able to even Are do you a little a bit boot? of hiking. No. So it's interesting okay. because, you know, we're treating this pretty conservatively because I chose that direction because I'm like up against no strict timeline with racing, right? Because, um, you know, I think the first race I'm hoping will happen at this point is Ironman Lake Placid. And so I have a lot of time before that in July, at the end of July. Um, and so when I learned about this, um, you know, I just, I wanted to, the doctor said it's not a really bad one, um, you know, and he suggested and I wanted to just do some blood work right off the bat to make sure things were okay there. And that would help us decide like the course of treatment, right? So um, I did some blood work right off the bat and I found out that my vitamin D and my iron were both quite low. Um, I hadn't been supplementing vitamin D, but I had been supplementing iron. So that was pretty just like, you know, a little bit interesting to find out that, um, in a time where, you know, I'm definitely eating probably like the best I ever have because pandemic life, I'm like meal planning and really like taking time for healthy meals because we have time to be doing that in this. Um, so I was, I was surprised to hear like anything with my blood work was off. And so, Um, I'm also outside all the time and I think that might be a little bit naive to think like, oh, I'm outside. I'm getting plenty of vitamin D. And it turns out like women often have trouble getting enough vitamin D and just being outside like in cloudy days probably doesn't count as much as it should be. Right. So um, I've learned a lot about these things and started to supplement vitamin D, try a different. I'm doing like a liquid form of iron supplementation to see if that gets absorbed a little bit better. And I'll go from there, right? So because of that, I was kind of like, you know what? I have time to not rush this. And I have seen as a coach and an athlete with my peers, stress fractures become like this chronic, chronic thing, right? And so having gone 35 years of my life without having one before, I definitely don't want to go down that quite slippery slope of it becoming a chronic thing if I 
you know, try to start running before I fix the underlying issues that are there. So all in all, like, you know, I'm just doing the best I can day to day. I'm starting to like, now that I'm on the other side, I will say I'm starting to be like, maybe I can like jog a couple steps and see how it feels, you know, but, um, I'm not doing that. And, (laughs) um, just really, you know, I, again, like I've talked about the Zwift racing a little bit that I'm doing, um, on Tuesdays, I'm in that racing league. And, um, that had been, has been like a constant savior for me on a lot of levels for my mental health. Like the last few months, like before, um, everything that had happened this month. So that has kept me going. And so being able to do that has still just like given my competitive side an outlet and I'm channeling like all my energy into that. Oh, well, I'm bummed for you, but I'm a little relieved for you that that marathon that you were originally training for isn't happening anyway. <laughs> so, hey, I know, right? That was like, you're, I mean, <laughs> you're not missing out on anything. Like you said, wait, how many weeks? Like, what is your recovery? I'm curious. I just, I know stress fractures, like there is a spectrum of fractures, like just in general and where they are obviously makes a difference. How many weeks are you planning to take off running? I'm planning to take off six because I, you know, the doctor was kind of like, he, I mean, I think he's also used to athletes coming in and being like, I want to run as soon as I can. Right. So he kind of was like, we could talk about you running at like almost four weeks type of things, depending how it feels. Um, but it was just kind of a situation where I was like, you know what, I, I'd rather just give my body the time to like really get my vitamin D levels up, get my iron back up and like check that as I start to return to running because I'm just not in a, I don't, I don't feel in a hurry, you know? And so part of me is like, if I don't feel like I need to be rushing it, then why stress myself out trying to rush it? But so I'm going to take, um, like the full six weeks that I think is generally like what's best, you know? Um, I think sometimes it can take up to eight too. So we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes, but it definitely is feeling good. Um, like in the beginning I could feel it a little bit during the days and, um, even like sometimes pushing off the wall at the pool, I would feel it. But now it's all of that kind of thing is gone. And, um, you know, I have to like kind of remind myself that it's there sometimes so that I don't hop down or something on it. Yeah. That was what I was going to ask. Like what initially like sent you to the doctor? Was it just like pain even, even when you're just like walking around or was, were you even able to run? Well, so it was interesting. So I first felt a sign that something was up um, actually the week I like remember it very vividly because it was a big training week. It was the week of the chaos, um, in DC. So it was that week of January 6th, right? So Lord knows in addition to everything else, like my cortisol levels were also probably like quite high during that week with all just the stress of the world, I'm assuming. And that can't be good. You know, I, I, some people have debated me on this, but I'm like, I think that also could be a contributory factor just like the level of stress going on that I felt during that week, right? And doing hard workouts and things like that. So it was that week I started to feel just a little bit of like a twinge, you know, in my left lower leg. And I kind of played around with some shoes for a little bit. It wasn't holding me back for the next, um, I think like two weeks. I was feeling it, but it wasn't keeping me from hitting times during my workouts. It wasn't keeping me from running. Um, It would kind of go get better as I like warmed up and would get into a workout anyway. So I wasn't super concerned. I also was used to be quite diligent about getting very regular massage and body work um, when I was living in Charlottesville. And so since I've moved up to Culpeper, 
Um, I, you know, I don't have my regular massage person. And so I had stopped doing that. And so I kind of thought like, oh, you know, that was contributing. So I worked a lot on like body work again. And so I was like, okay, I just need to get back on the horse with that. And it's just like a a calf thing or something, you know? Um, and then when I found out the marathon was postponed, it was like two, two and a half, maybe weeks after I started to feel it. And so at that point, we were like, okay, let's just dial back the running a lot and just like really get on the body work and make it feel better, you know? And it was interesting because it was like a week and a week and a half into dialing running like way back that I it started to hurt more. And so I was like, uh, this doesn't feel like anything I've ever felt before. Like I was like, it just feels different. <laughs> that was the only way I could describe it. Um, and it started to feel more like just not right. Like it's, you know, I think my gut was starting to tell me like this is more of a bone than a muscle thing. Um, and so luckily it was like a week when I realized that it was a week of really bad weather in Virginia. So a lot of people were canceling appointments. And so I was actually able to get in to a great doctor, like a specialist in town um, really quickly. And I was actually able to get an MRI done very quickly as well because of that. I was like calling nonstop to the MRI place and taking canceled people's appointments, which is a good lesson to learn. Um, and so I was able to get it diagnosed very quickly, which was helpful in the whole thing um, because there wasn't a lot of like a waiting period or like a gray area of kind of what it is and should we keep running through it and things like that. So um, at that point, yeah. And I mean, I could have, I think one thing I see a lot of is people will really like, you know, do the elliptical or do water aqua jogging and things like that are options too. Um, I've just kind of chosen to just keep swimming hard and biking hard. And I know I'm staying aerobically fit doing that. And Lord knows, Haley, I have run enough miles in my life that like, I'll remember how to run when I can again. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think, thank you for sharing. I know this isn't like a super fun topic to talk about, but I think it's an important one to talk about. And like, you know, you never know who might be listening and might learn from your experience. And, And it is, it also shows that like, an athlete like you who has no history of stress fracture, who has run 200 mile, you know, runs with no issues, like is not infallible. And I'm sorry you're going through this, but I think it is really good to to share that story. And I do want to ask one more, like, have you noticed a difference when you're not running? Have you noticed like, like for your bike and your swim, do they feel better? Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, my pool time right now is hardly like something you could call consistent, but just in general, like when I get in, even if I don't feel good, like I still feel smooth in the water, you know, those those swims where you're like, I must be swimming so fast. And then like the clock's not telling you that, but like, you still just feel so good in the water. Like that's how it is. And then, yeah, I mean, I have like now maxed out my new like bike, 20 minute, 60 minute, 90 minute power records, like, um, without even thinking I was doing it, you know? So that's kind of cool too, because I am giving myself like this new bar, especially on the bike. So that when I get into Ironman training, I'm going to have like these new kind of perceptions of what I, what my max really is on the bike. Um, and that was something I hadn't really done before. So, um, it just, yeah, when your legs aren't tired from running, it is quite nice to do the other stuff. 
Running's hard. I mean, it is very hard on your body. And I'm always like surprised. And even though you think that it's only a 30 minute easy run or a 60 minute easy run, it does take a lot out of you. So I think this is, you know, again, I, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I am sorry that you are dealing with the injury, but I think that, you know, we can learn from it. And then I'm excited to see, you know, if you're, you're swimming the bike, if there's like a little bit of jump, even like you said, a mindset jump where you're not afraid of certain numbers, um, can be good. And like you said, you will not have forgotten how to run. <laughs> There's no way. I think it takes a lot more than six weeks to undo like 30 years of running. Yeah, I'd have to be like zapped by like a alien memory beam or something. <laughs> anyway, Haley, what what have you been up to? Are you are you enjoying some miles for the both of us in this time? I am. I am. I have had some like some good runs in the snow. So, you know, not fast. I've had some good time on the treadmill. Um, I will also add that I've, I, um, I have had some like harder workouts recently. And so I've been a little bit more diligent with my noon podium series usage and actually using like the prime before my hard workout and then using the endurance during the workout and then the recovery after. And I would say like last week might have been one of my best, it was definitely my best training week of 2021, which I know there haven't been that many weeks in 2021, but um, it was a good week, you know, and I I was very surprised at some of how I was able to string together certain workouts that were like, you know, is it, am I going to blow up on this? And I think part of it might've been like being more diligent than I have been because, you know, in all honesty, during the pandemic at certain points, like priming for workouts was not highest on my priority or taking that recovery right after I'm like, uh, whatever, get me a beer. But you know, I'm starting to think a little bit more like, okay, like let's, you know, consistency over sessions, let's put together things. Maybe there's some races coming up. And so it's motivated me. And then once you get in the habit, it becomes very easy, but, and then you're like, oh my goodness, this is delicious. And so, um, yeah, definitely my, uh, I I'm all for the, the, podium series, the noon hydration podium series. It's, it's fun even just to have the routine of it. And you get to use the shaker bottles, which is really fun. (laughs) I love it. And for our listeners, just a reminder, if you want to try the podium series, which we recommend, um, head to noonlife.com code live feisty with a capital L and a capital F for 30% off of your order there. Nice. And Alyssa, do we have any, I know, I think we do. I know we do. We have some mailbag questions. Are we going to read one this week and answer it? (laughs) Read it and hopefully answer. (laughs) We are going to tackle an anonymous question that came in um, from a partner that we are going to attempt to help this person with. So the question is, can you give some advice on the work training relationship balance and how some partners might feel neglected and in the way of training during like training and building up to an Ironman. For an example, my partner works six days a week and trains every day, but has zero energy and races to the couch just as fast as she can. Haley, I admit, I was like, um, Matt, hopefully you weren't sending in <laughs> this any mailbags this week. No. Um, so <laughs> did you identify with the with with one half of this partnership? <laughs> Oh, I think I have definitely been the, uh, the, yes, the person who is racing to the couch after training and then doing work because I guess to this person, it sounds like, first of all, there's a lot of information we don't know. So we definitely want to preface it with that. Um, but from a very high level, 
I would say that it sounds like this person is 100% normal, right? She's training for an Ironman. It is normal to be extremely tired, to have very minimal time, especially if you're working six days a week, plus Ironman training. And that's like all very normal. So I guess that's something I think to like kind of think about as you're thinking through how to tackle this. Um, The other part of that is that like people do have relationships while they're training for Ironman, right? So it is possible to train, work, and still maintain a relationship with your partner. Um, But it does take what I would call like next level communication and understanding between both people of what that is going to entail and what that's going to look at. Um, So, you know, there's a lot going on here, right, Haley? Yeah. And my advice to Anonymous would be, you know, have you talked to her and let you let her know how you feel like that would be the first step like it you know does does she know that you um feel neglected you know like I think because she might not know so I think that that's like a good first a place to start um I think that to your point that people are tired during Ironman training the good thing to remember is that it isn't forever you know like a lot like the training it builds, yes, but there will be a race and there is usually recovery time after that. And sometimes people, you know, maybe sometimes people do more than one, but these days, like we, you know, who knows when you can actually do a race. And so, and even within an Ironman build, even like, I think athletes like Alyssa and myself who, who race at a very high level, I, we have easier weeks or easier days, you know, during the week. And so maybe it's about communicating when those days are and scheduling something, you know, like, um, putting it on there. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, maybe, um, if, you know, if you want to go for a bike ride with her or a run with her or a swim, like we also usually have very easy days and those are like good for social if you, if you're interested in that, but if you're not interested in any sort of exercise activities, then, you know, maybe there are some lower key activities that you could do together on your, on, on an easier day for her that you kind of schedule. Um, also like, you know, there are activities that you can do on the couch together. You know, if she's racing to the couch, like maybe join her. Maybe there's something you can do there. Like I'm saying like binge watching a, you know, a show that doesn't take very much like Cars effort. Start like a game, a cribbage game, like a tournament between you guys. Yeah. Wait for the slow cooker to cook something, <laughs> you know, like it's like chat, listen to music. Like I feel like there's some things that even in your like the depths of training, you know, yes, you might be sleeping a lot, but like, there's also some like low, like low energy things that could be really, really fun. And so I think that coming up with some of those activities might also be a healthy way to spend time together. Haley, as we were discussing this too, we were kind of, we flipped it around a little bit and looked at it from the other perspective. Like if, if, um, she is out there listening and is thinking about this, like maybe she's like, wait, is this about me? Right? Like, Um, you know, there were definitely times in my life where, especially like when I had aspirations of competing at a high level where I, you know, I was in a position where my, the person I was dating probably felt that way. Right. And I, I was pretty deliberately sometimes picking triathlon, um, because that was like what I wanted to invest myself in. And that was how I saw myself being my best self in the future. Right. And so, I would just kind of say that if that is you and you're listening, I I think that's okay too. 
Yes, but communicate that, you know, because I think that that's sort of how you, uh, you know, maintain good relationships in all areas of life is communication. So, you know, you can also be the person who says that, which it might not be a fun conversation, but ultimately I think it's the more mature conversation. And if anyone else out there has questions for Haley and I about racing training or relationships, send them in to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We are always happy to take a stab on that. Um, and Haley, we do have an interview today. This is a super fun one. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to. We have on today, our guest is Erin Letzring. She's from Skagway, Alaska, and she grew up in the dog sledding community. So not a triathlete, you guys, but another athlete that's super cool to talk to. Um, she grew up in that dog sledding community around Duluth. And so, and she talks to us about finding the sport in general. She also helps us answer all of our questions about the sport. You can listen to Haley and I stumble through calling it mushing versus mushing and all sorts of questions like that. Um, we get exciting details about Aaron's win at the John Bear Grease dog sled race that happened last month. So we had a really fun time talking to Aaron. She has some great stories. We will get into that interview after a word from our sponsors. Hi folks, Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you're currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science, and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions, plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149 and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. Alyssa, I know I go on and on about your fastest known times on 100 and 200 mile courses, but just last month you talked about running 35 second 200s on the track. That's sub five minute mile pace. How do you transition so well between super endurance and super speed training? Well, Haley, one of my top priorities is taking really good care of my body before, during, and after every run. This year, I started using Prevenex Joint Health Plus, and I've definitely felt a direct benefit to my training. The active ingredients in Joint Health Plus are clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness. Less joint pain means faster run splits and better recovery for tomorrow's run. You don't have to run as far or as fast as Alyssa to benefit from Prevenex's Joint Health Plus. And in just seven to 10 days of using Joint Health Plus, you should notice a difference. If by chance you don't feel any benefits, Prevenix offers a 100% refund, no questions asked. Everyone wants to feel good when they swim, bike, run, or even walk. 
Alyssa and I both highly recommend you head to Prevenix.com and use the code IRONWOMEN15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that website is Prevenix, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and discount code IRONWOMEN15. Erin, thanks so much for coming on today and welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Uh, Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you. So I'm super excited to have you on today. Like many of our listeners, I'm sure, dog sled racing really came on my radar recently, a few years back with Blair Braverman's Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, her book, and then kind of the fame of the ugly dog posse that that really like started um and you can follow that via social media right so can you tell us about your background i'm sure there was like a lot more you know that certainly didn't put dog sled racing on your radar so can you tell us about you know how has dog sledding always been a part of your life yeah yeah good question so dog sledding has been a part of my life for most of my life now uh when i was in my teens my younger sister had been bothering my parents and she's like oh this would be great if we could get sled dogs you know she read call the wild by jack london and other things like that and she thought this would be a great adventure and so parents finally caved and we get a couple sled dog puppies and they come home with them and um all of us were hooked right away my little sister decided it was a little bit too much work outside in the cold and she wasn't totally into it but uh the rest of us were all solidly involved by that point and too late to back out at that at that endeavor then and so yeah from there just uh, grew up training and racing the sled dogs um, you know doing uh, what they call mid-distance races there's a bunch of different ones but um, you know my dad and my brother have both raced and so it's kind of been a family thing and so has the you know the rise in interest with this with various Disney movies Blair Braverman has that been like a good thing for the sport, you know, has, have you, I guess, felt kind of that increase in popularity in the recent years? Yeah, any good publicity you can get out there for anything is good. And so, yeah, like you said, some of those things that come out, you know, anytime a Disney movie comes out, yes, you get more spectators at the at the starting lines of the events. You get more folks out there, you know, cheering you on on social media and things. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a good thing and a good way to promote the sport of mushing. And I admit, I don't know very much about mushing. And so I want, or mushing, mushing, am I even saying it right? So can you give us, like, run us through some of the, like, the details? Like, is there a typical race distance and, or is there a typical number of dogs during a race? Or does that vary? Yeah, those are all great questions. And it does vary depending on what you're doing. And so, um, you know, dog sled racing is kind of like foot races. So you have some really short sprint races, and then you have some more kind of, you know, intermediate distances, and then you have those ultra marathons and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, the the ones that tend to get the most spectators, the most followers are the ones that go longer, kind of the mid distance or the long distance races. Some of the races most people are most familiar with are like the Iditarod or the Yukon Quest. Those are thousand mile events that run uh, you know, up in Alaska each winter. And then, you know, down here in the States, there's many events that are somewhere between about 200 to 300 miles. And so those ones are a lot of fun for folks to follow because you really get to see the teams over several days out there. And especially, you know, again, with social media and everything and people being able to Facebook live and all that other kind of stuff and, you know, instantly upload photos and things. It does get lots more followers there. As far as the number of dogs and things, um, you know, for those mid to long distance races, usually when you're out there running, you're going to have 10, 12 or 14 dogs on your team. And so then you'll take it, uh, you'll take it from there and uh, go off on the trail with your buddies. And Aaron, I have run some races that are 
quite long and done kind of some trail adventures, you know, on foot. And obviously when you get into distances in the hundreds of miles, you know, you stop to sleep. Um, so can you talk about kind of how that works for, um, the dog sled racing and like, you know, how do you sleep? Do the dog sleep? I I think there are mandatory rest periods. So how does that work? Yeah, yeah, good question. So we'll just go with, you know, the Bear Grease is the race that we just completed, and it's a good one to kind of base it off of because most races and events run similarly to that. And so, um, you know, you take off from the starting line, and, you know, this one you have 12 dogs, and so we'll run about 35 miles with the team. Uh, we'll stop and we'll rest, uh, usually about, you know, three and a half to four hours. So over the course of the 300-mile race, uh, we need to accumulate 24 hours of rest at, um, you know, between the checkpoints. And I think uh, we'll just go with their seven-ish checkpoints points and so you know it breaks down to whatever we have four ish hours of rest i guess it'd be six ish checkpoints i guess i could do math quickly enough but either way so about four hours of rest at each checkpoint and so um it seems to get a good rhythm for the dogs you know they're running down the trail for about four hours or so and then they stop and rest for four hours and so and kind of what that entails for um you know musher and dog team is once you come into the checkpoint um you know you get the dogs off and uh, by your truck or trailer wherever you have that you're going to bed them down uh, if you had the booties on the dogs the booties are kind of like a gardening gloves sometimes you're going to have them on the dogs sometimes you aren't they're there to protect their feet um, from getting small cracks or fissures from the ice and so yeah i'll get those booties off um you'll get everybody kind of uh, give them some straw and then uh, get some food in their belly because you know like any athlete you need to make sure that you're fueling up and so once you get them all fueled up uh, dogs bed down to take a nap human goes bed beds down to take a nap too uh, you start resting about an hour before you're going to take off with the dogs again you start roasting them a little bit you know getting them up moving them around uh, getting some more liquid in them because hydration is really important with the dogs uh you got to make sure they are staying plenty hydrated out there and so uh yeah like i said about an hour before you take off get them up moving around uh boot them up and then hit the trail for the next leg of the race and get to the next checkpoint and start it all over again this actually sounds a lot like what Alyssa does. Actually, when you're talking about four-hour breaks, I'm like, this sounds very similar to uh, Alyssa's racing. Alyssa, you, you, you're like a sled dog. Um, but I, 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 I have a dog. I have one dog, and he is plenty of work for me. And um, and he's not exactly an athlete. I mean, maybe he's like a sprinter if there's like a a rabbit involved, but, um, I, I just, I like when you stay, you have a team of 12 to 14 dogs, like how many humans are helping you take care of these dogs? And then also like, like do the dogs, like, do you ever, you know, does one to get injured and then you are, are you just down a dog? Like what happens? Yeah. Yep. Uh, again, great questions. And so, um, yep. When we're on the race, uh, you know, the, my partner, Keith and I, we have our kennel, we have about 20 dogs in the kennel. So it's a smallish kennel. So, uh, you know, for our training and racing season, you know, we're there, um, you know, taking care of the dogs, mainly the two of us there, you know, feeding, training, uh, scooping up after them, caring for them, that kind of thing. Um, on the race there, we, uh, wrote my brother into coming with us too. So I had two handlers that were helping in the race because it helps to have lots of eyes out there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, not a lot of work once you get into it because you get so much joy from it um you know you're out there and the dogs really love what they're doing and you know like with you ladies as well if you're out there we love the outdoors you know you want to be outside you want to be outside in the sun whether it's cold or anything like that and to be able to be out there with your four-legged friends is just awesome and so um you know kind of on a, a daily basis if you just need to get chores done because you've got to go to work or you've got to go to work and homeschool the kids and all those kind of things um you know usually with the 20 dogs it'll take about you know 40 
45 minutes or so in the morning to go out there, you know, feed them, clean up after the dog, say hi to everybody. And then you'll go check in again in the afternoon for sure. Another about half hour or so. So, um, you know, when you're training again, that takes more time. You'll go out for a run. If you're planning to do a 40 mile training run with the dogs, you usually bank about five hours is what you'll block out of your schedule for, you know, give or take in case something goes wrong. So by the time you got to get, you know, your 10 or 12 dogs hooked up and then get out on the trail, uh, you know, run about 10 ish or 11 ish miles an hour with the team, come back in and get everybody disrobed and put away again. It takes a little bit of time, but that's why it is good to have great help. And Aaron, you mentioned um, the kennel aspect of it. And as I went down the wormhole researching some of this, it sounds like kind of each of the mushers are associated with kind of a kennel. And I'm I'm just really curious, like, are there major, major rivalries that are built, um, you know, between the kennels kind of? And um, is that like a, a thing, I guess, within the community? It can tend to be sometimes, you know, the mushing community is so small that everybody generally tends to be very good natured. Um, but yes, there is definitely healthy competition. You know, if someone has been on top for a while, everybody is trying to do whatever they can with their training programs or regimens, their um, dogs to try to, you know, get them off the top of the podium and get somebody else up there. And so uh, there can be times it's definitely competitive, but it's good natured competition, if that makes sense. So yes, rivalries, but you're all friends in the end. And, you know, if you're out there and somebody's having a, a tough time or if, uh, you know, heaven forbid you let go of your dog sled and they take off without you, you, you pick the musher up and you make sure you go and collect the dogs and that everybody's all right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's competition with friendliness, I guess. Oh, that's kind of sweet. Aaron, you, you kind of ran us through your day, but I'm also curious, like, did you, did you have another job or is this a full-time job for you? Uh, no, this is not a full-time job. I do have a job. I manage a touring company in Skagway, Alaska. And so uh, it's kind of nice, the schedule with that, with the dog sled racing, you know, we have, it's lighter and easier in the winter when I like to be able to devote more time to training the dogs. And then, um, usually the dogs are also getting exercised in the summer, giving new dog sled rides to cruise ship passengers. And so it's been a little wonky this last year with the COVID thing, but, um, yeah, so the, you know, in winters have plenty of time to be able to get out there and devote to training. Cause it is a lot like, you know, human athletes, you need to put the time in in order to get it to happen. You know, the dogs are athletes too. And so they need to be built up and have, you know, a very closely watched training regimen to get them up to where they need to be to peak for the race. And Aaron, we want to talk about the big win that you just had. Um, you were the first woman since 1998 to win the John Bergries sled dog marathon. And just to let our listeners uh, kind of get up to speed on what that is, I at least I have what is on Wikipedia and you can tell us if this is correct or not. So the John Bergreese sled dog race is a dog sled race held along the North shore of Lake Superior in Northeast Minnesota. It's 400 miles long and it is the longest sled dog race in the lower 48 States. This is a qualifier for the famed Iditarod race in Alaska. And it is named in honor of John Bergreese, a winter mail carrier who traveled by sled dog between two harbors, Minnesota and Grand Portage, Minnesota during the last two decades of the 19th century. So this race has been held every year since 1980, but it was your first time racing it, I believe. So did you go into it with sights set on the win? 
uh, yes and no. You know, it's like any race win or any competition you win. There's so many things that could happen um, and so many other factors out there um, that you're never quite sure what's going to occur. And so, um, yeah, with your Wikipedia thing there, the only thing that's different is it's now about 300 miles. It's shortened a little bit. It's still the longest uh, race in the continental U.S. there. But, um, yeah, as far as going for the win, uh, you know, again, my partner Keith and I, he had helped set up the dog team so well, and we were really hoping that it could happen but you don't want to hope for anything too hard you just need to go out and run your race you know you're out there with your buddies you just have to have fun you have to be enjoying yourself and so there was lots of good competition in the race and you never know what's going to happen but um after you put so much time and effort and energy into it um you know you're going to give it your all and uh try to do you know the best that you and your four-legged friends can do out there so um yeah it was really kind of exciting being my first uh, bear grease marathon there you know i had handled for the event for uh several different mushers many times and so i knew it well from the handling side but to actually be out on the trail was really neat to be able to see it from that other direction and um yeah it was it was a lot of fun and it was really great to be able to cross that finish line in first race it took took a lot of energy and effort and a little bit of nerve-wracking there at the end but uh, it was pretty cool and Aaron, we, we mentioned that you were the first woman to win since 1998, but I think looking at the podium, there were the third and fourth place spots were also women. And, and I did a little research and it seems like there've been several women who have went one that I did a rod and those, you know, these big, big dog sled races. So I'm just curious, like, is there, do you feel like there's gender parity in dog sled racing or is there still room for more equality? Um, no, it's pretty equal. It is a really unique sport in that, you know, men and women do compete side by side. I don't think there's many other sports, you know, some car racing events and things like that, that also have men and women competing together. But yeah, to compete in the same event uh, is just great. It is interesting that, you know, there's not... You know, the yes, you said women have won it, but if you compare it to, you know, like you said, 23 years since women's won the Bear Grease, it has been a while. And I'm not sure why exactly, because, you know, women can do just as well as men at that. And so it's just, um, it's, it's interesting. I have to put some more thought into that one for sure. And Erin, can you talk a little bit more about, too, like the physical preparations that you go through um, to be able to handle the, the like length of racing, kind of the, the long ultra marathon type of dog sledding? Like what would a training day not for necessarily the dogs look like, but for, for you to stay sharp for that? Yeah, for the human to stay sharp for that, um, you know, you get, caring for the dogs on a regular basis does keep you in pretty good shape. You know, you're hauling it around, um, you know, five gallon buckets of water, you know, carrying them out to the dogs, walking around through the snow, um, hauling straw for the dogs, you know, you feed them meat and things. So you're lifting 50 pound blocks of meat, 40 pound bags of dog food. And so you get some of that, um, you know, personally myself, I enjoy running. Um, you know, I've run a couple marathons and things like that. And so I like to stay in shape and it really does help behind the dog team there. So, you know, the dogs love to run and they love to pull, but if you're out there, uh, for so long you know if you hit a point where you're on a hill and you're like okay well I know I can run as fast as dogs are going right now up the hill I might as well get off and give them a little bit of break you know not having to pull my 145 pounds up the hill so you know get off and run alongside with them it can really help out the team and so uh, you know, every musher has different levels of physical fitness that they want to aspire to with the dogs, because again, dogs pull the sleds. And so, um, you know, if you are in a little bit better shape, sometimes when it comes down to the nitty gritty of a race there and needing that, uh, you know, extra, extra spoonful of Cheerios or extra weenie to get you up to the top of the hill, sometimes it helps to have been in a little bit better shape. 
I love the idea of you running, like, like letting them, okay, we'll go up this hill and I'll help you out and I'll run next to you. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I do want to ask about, you know, you mentioned the rules and how you have to, the dogs need to rest for at least 24 hours during the race. And are you strategizing? Like, I mean, you mentioned the four hour breaks, but is there like a strategy towards like saving up for the finish or anything like that and not having to like, oh gosh, we're getting close to the end. We got to take one hour because we've only done 23 kind of thing. Uh, yeah, for sure. That is one very big part of your race planning and your race strategy. And so you go into it having a general idea of what you'd like to do. So like I said, with this one, you know, between the checkpoints, and the 24 hours rest, if you did it evenly, it evened out to about four hours of rest at each checkpoint there. But then once you get into it, there's different things that affect that. So you, you know, you anticipate, oh, we should be, you know, this long on the trail. The first run should take about, you know, three hours and 10 minutes. But when it takes three hours and 45 minutes instead, because the trail was slow and um, you know, it took a little longer than you thought it might. Well, it's like, okay, well, if we're going to rest this long. Do we need a few extra minutes or is the trail still going to be this sloppy and we're going to want those minutes later on? And so it's one of those things that you really have to know your dog team and what they have in them. You know, from watching them, you can tell, um, you know, by looking at the dogs, how alert and happy they are, how well they eat is a big thing. Like we were saying, again, hydration is, is big. And so, um, you know, watching the dogs, you know, if you need to adjust the rest, you know, generally you're wanting to try to do, like we we're saying, equal run, equal rest, if you can, just because it's, it, it helps them out for whatever reason in the dog's natural rhythm there. Um, but yeah, so we will adjust it a little bit, just trying to make sure you maintain, you know, happiness and spunk, keep that attitude in the team there. And Aaron, when we talk about this race, we have to kind of give people a image of what was going on in the final stretch there, because literally the final miles ultimately came down to the last few final meters, I believe I read, and you were going back and forth with another musher, but this wasn't just any other rival. This was actually your ex-husband. And so I read this and had like so many reactions all at once, raised like ranging from kind of laughing and giggling to myself and feeling like na 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 you know like pure competitiveness like all of the emotions i had for you right so what were your actual feelings during this this time of the race yeah, it was just a bunch of Hopefully it's okay said. we're asking. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's great. It is what it is. There's, there's nothing around it, you know. So, um, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. So, yes, getting down to the last leg of the race there, and um, it was pretty close together. And we had gone, and we were both getting out there. The dogs have been enjoying their nap in the sunshine. So, you know, we're getting going a little slower than we usually were. He caught up to us, and he passed us. And so, you know, we had 31 miles of trail to go on this last leg. And so we're out there. He gets around us, we get around him, he comes around us one more time, and then we didn't see him for a while. We we're like, okay, well, we're just going to keep plugging along. You know, either way, if we make it seconds, not that bad. Yes, it would be really cool to win and, you know, still kind of hoping for it, but we're just going to keep doing our thing because, you know, we're looking good, we're feeling good. And so you keep going along, and we're about, oh gosh, what was it, 22 ish miles? I could finally see him up ahead. And it's like, okay, guys, well, we're just plodding along, you know, we're not pushing the pace, you know, we haven't kicked it into turbo or anything yet. We're just getting going, just moving along. It's like, okay, I think we can do this. If we just keep going like we are being happy, we're doing our thing. And so, you know, when another couple of miles behind him, he finally saw us back there, go around a corner and he stopped to fix something. So we go around him. 
And so we're going down the trail again. He's like, you know, well, how far do you think you have left? And, you know, look at the GPS and it's like, oh, we know how long we have left. And there's really like five miles left. I just tell him we have six miles left. It's like, okay, well, you know, if you don't look at your GPS to know, we'll just pat it a little bit there. So, um, you know, sitting in my head with dog sled racing, there's this thing when you get a mile from the finish line, it's called no man's land. And so dog sled racing, there's it, it's rule passing rules. So it's kind of like cars on the highway. You know, if you have the faster car, you just kind of go out into the passing lane and you merge alongside. Yes, dogs are a little more complicated than cars on the highway because there's more individuals involved. And so the overtaken team, the slower team kind of has to slow down or stop and make sure that the faster team can get around them. So we can take it. But once you hit no man's land, that all goes away. If you're in front, you do whatever you want just to stay in front. You don't have to stop and let them pass. You don't have to do anything. So it's like, okay, well, I'm around him right now. We're going to keep going at this point. Like I said, there's five-ish miles left in the race. And so we're going and hear him behind me. And I'm like, okay, we just got to keep going, guys. You guys are good dogs. You're doing well. And so then I hear him come up a little faster and he's, he wants to try to go around me. So he tries to get around me there and he does make it around me. Give him just a little bit because our team, my team was doing better. And so, you know, give him 30 seconds or so. And my team was faster. So we went right back around him. Great. We got like two miles to go. So it's like, we just have to stay in front of him for one more mile and not let him try to pass again. And so we're going, I'm like, you guys are doing good. You're doing really good. Get off right up some of these hills as far as I can from top to bottom as fast as I can. And put on the little running boots instead of the big old, uh, you know, packed boots to keep your feet warm. So running up all the hills, finally, no man's land was at the top of the tallest hill we've been to over. I get to the top. I see those flags. I'm like, yes, this is great. And so we're still ahead of him, but he's just behind us. You can, you know, see his headlight here. I'm hollering. I'm like, okay, guys, we got to do this. Just, you know, dogs kind of poop on the run while we're going and sometimes they slow down when you do that i'm like please just don't stop to poop we just need to get down to the finish line and so um yeah we're going down the hill the last mile was crazy all you're thinking is i just need to stay attached to my sled i need to get the nose of my lead dog across the line while i'm attached to the sled and that means we'll have won the race and so going down and it was the most nerve-wracking mile of anything i have ever done um yeah we made it in seven seconds ahead of him in second place so it was a pretty fantastic experience wow can we have have that be the next Disney movie. I'm I think this is what we need. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, did he know like when you say that like the 6 miles, 5 miles, he didn't know his GPS. Like was he surprised to see those flags marking 1 mile to go and into no man's land? Did he think there was another mile? He might have. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's one of those things like your racing is just a little fib. It doesn't really count as a lie. And so, you know, we both have our GPSs. We were both told the same things about the course. And uh, the kind of neat thing about this was uh, the last about three-ish miles of the course. Um, and when we had come into that final checkpoint of Mineral Center, we had come in the same way we were going to finish. And so the last three miles was something we'd already been on. And so if you kind of paid attention and knew that this was going to happen, um, you paid attention to the terrain and what you're going to see. And, it, you know, it was, it was a good thing that I had done that because then I knew it was kind of coming up. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if he didn't know or if we had thought there had been more trail, but either way, it worked out well for us. So it's, it's, all good. it's racing, right? All bets are off. You're like, if we're in the wilderness and something happens I'll pick you up but in that last those last couple of miles you better know your own GPS um yes, that's yeah. amazing yeah. um so besides this race and this incredible victory I mean I'm still buzzing hearing about this I would love to hear a little bit more about your relationship with your dogs I mean are they are I my understanding of sled dogs is they are like working dogs they're like employees but do you still have like kind of a, a pet relationship with them or is it just all business 
it's a little bit of both. You know, it is the best thing to compare to is is a team. You know what I mean? And so it's a uh, like any basketball team or a football team. Um, you know, you've got your players, and you have to have a bond in order to be able to work well together, in order to be able to function, to know how everybody's feeling that day, to know who's going to get along where, to know. You know, by watching the dogs, you can tell. Okay, well, you know, today Wilder's really driving hard. He should be in lead for sure. But you know, kind of Blackhawks having an off day. We need to move her back a little bit because she's not helping push the pace. And so you need to really know them, but it's, it's a good working relationship. And like a team, you know, you have members that can get traded if they're no longer kind of fitting into the group. It's not like you love them any less. It just means they weren't working with your team and they might work better for somebody else's team. And so um, you really do form a bond with the dogs because that's the way that you're all going to function best as a unit. Um, but it's a little less than the pet level where you're sleeping in bed with them at night, that kind of thing. So it's more of a, a working friendly bond uh, where you're both expecting certain things out of each other and have, yeah, it's, it's a good way to put it. You have certain expectations of each other. You know, they know what I'm expecting from them and, you know, they know what to expect from me. And so then that helps us work well together. But yes, they are happy to see you. Like when we get in from a run, um, I can turn all of the dogs loose and they kind of wander around the dog lot. Uh, you know, I call them each individually over to their dog houses. They come over, they get good loving and hugging, rub them down, um, you know, clip them back up and then go on to the next guy, do the same thing. And so, um, you know, we are always happy to see each other and yeah, just a little bit less than like the full blown house pet level. And can you tell us maybe about a few of them? Like I'm thinking of you guys as a team, right? And I'm thinking, okay, do you do you feel like you have a team captain amongst the dogs or like a most spirited or an unsung hero, right? So can you can you maybe give us a, a few stories or backgrounds? Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the dogs that he led all but like two miles in in lead for this bear goose race, his name is Wilder. And he's kind of he really likes to do his job well. He has an attitude. So like he knows he's good. So it's one of those kind of attitudes. It's like he's like, yeah. I know I'm good. I got this, you know? And so you're like, yes, Wilder, you are good. You do got this. And so he gets proud of himself as he's going down the trail. When you tell him he's a good dog, you can see him almost like pick up his shoulders and puff up his head a little more every time you tell him he's just doing good and doing well. And then um, you had mainly males in this group for whatever reason uh, with sled dogs, both males and females pull the sled. It doesn't matter. It just kind of ends up personal preference or whatever ends up in your kennel. And so with, um, you know, the 12 dogs we had on the team this year, there was just two females and one was a younger one, a super spunky spitfire named Cruz. She's super great. Added a lot of, you know, pep and zip to the team there. And then the other female, her name was Blackhawk. She was the smallest dog in the crew by far. You know, she's maybe 40 pounds and lots of the other ones were bigger males, probably averaged about, you know, 55, 60 ish pounds. But um, she was really great. It really surprised me a lot in this race too. I knew she was a cool dog. I knew she was doing well, but sometimes until you get them into the racing situation, a lot like people, sometimes some people can choke once you get to the big game and it's just like oh you didn't expect that you had trained so well you're doing so well um but man she's shown uh she was terrific she'd get there she'd be hollering we'd stop out on the trail just to let everybody pee once she was done and ready to go she'd start hollering some more and so it was really great to have her on there um, as far as the dogs go, you know, they're all great. It's kind of like asking a mom who her favorite child is, you know, you don't necessarily have a favorite child because, you know, they all have their great points. Uh, but one of the ones that I really do like, his name is Nico and he just has this quirky personality. Uh, whenever you go up to say hi to him, he spins in circles, kind of like somebody spun a top. He just goes round and round and round and round and round and round like this until you get close enough. And then he like stops and he's like, 
I got you, didn't I? <laughs> it's like, Nico, you're just super, super silly. So um, they are fun there. Lots of times folks ask if sled dogs have names, if they all have their own individual's name and how can you tell them apart? And so, um, you know, the way I kind of describe it for lots of people, it's like a, if you're coming into a new kennel, it's kind of like a teacher on the first day of school. You know, all of a sudden this teacher has whatever, 20 or 24 different students that could all look the same. But, you know, after, you know, a day or two, teacher definitely knows all of the individual students' names. And it's the same thing with the sled dog. So it's just, you know, the way they look, their personality, the way they act, that kind of thing. So they are all very unique and individual. Do they know when they've won? I mean, is Wilder strutting even like even more? <laughs> um, yes, I think they know when they win. So I think a lot of it too is they feed off, you know, the emotions that you're giving to them. You know, what you're putting forth from them. And I think, um, yeah, I think he for sure knew he won. He's uh, pretty darn cocky out there. You know, we've done a couple of uh, short training runs since then, just because it's it's what we do. You run the dogs, even if you don't have another big event coming up. You want to be out there with your friends your friends want to be running and so you go out there and um yeah they're definitely happy to get on the trail and you can tell they just have a different kind of pep in their step they're just uh, excited and proud of themselves and we mentioned that this race is a qualifier for the Iditarod in Alaska the famed race that many people are probably familiar with hearing so are you able to tell us if you will be racing there do you know if you will be racing there I currently have no plans to run the Iditarod. It is a, it is a neat event. Um, you know, I've supported teams that have run the Iditarod in the past. Um, it's, it's a longer race, you know, that thousand mile race, the winners, it's going to take them seven days to complete back of the pack on up to about 14 days. And just depending on what it is out there. And so, um, I don't really have any desire to do that at the moment. I really enjoy these mid distance races where you're out there for a little bit less time, but also, uh, you know, the more important aspect to me is that it's really cool to be able to have you know like my partner with me and you know handling together because then you're looking at the the dogs as a, a group you know you both put so much hard work into the team and getting them to the point they were so then to be able to share that main event the really cool race experience with everybody who's been putting so much into it um, that just means a lot more to me than going off into the woods by myself for a week and kind of having everybody else wonder what's going on so Erin, it sounds like you need a lot of gear to do these races, which is familiar to us in triathlon, different sorts, but a lot of the country, including you're in Minnesota, I'm in Montana, and even people I talk to in Houston, Texas right now are dealing with very cold temperatures. <laughs> so what what is your favorite pair of gear and specifically like favorite pair of gloves? Because that seems to be something I've been struggling with recently. <laughs> yeah, great question. So yeah, gear is definitely a big thing. Um, you know, like you said, with anything you're doing outside, you definitely need to gear. Um, you know, here we've had 40 below the last three mornings, and just finally today we barely cracked and it hit two above, and so we're like, whoa, heat wave. Um, but yeah, gear is really good. Um, as far as gloves go, kind of in practical for triathletes probably, but um, I, my favorite is this big pair of fur mittens. Um, they're a big pair of beaver mittens there. And so they're just, they're excellent. You put your hands in those things. There's no air getting through anywhere. Um, you know, I actually make them myself. And so it has, you know, beaver on the outside, use thin slate insulation, like there's in lots of jackets and things, and then have, you know, a quilted liner in there too. Um, you know, we use lots of just uh, kind of knit gloves that might go in there so that when you take your hands out of the big mitts, uh, you can do something quick, but you're not getting snow right on your skin or playing with the metal snaps right with your hands there. Um, but my favorite pair of gear, 
the best thing. I don't know. There's so many different things to go. If you have warm feet and warm hands, it seems like most of the time you're going to be pretty good to go. You know, whatever else you have going on, if you can do that, uh, that works well. So those Viver mitts are big. Um, have this big pair of Cabela's Trans Alaska boots, which are great and keep your feet warm out there. Um, other than that, like as far as stuff that can cross over and do many different things, um, I really like the Columbia Company puts out lots of things that has the ones with the silver dots on the inside, the Omni heat dryer. I'm not exactly sure what they call it, but those ones like the, they have some jackets like that and some snow pants. It's my favorite pair of snow pants is the ones from Columbia with those little shiny dots on the inside. Cause they really do help reflect the heat. And I'm curious, like if people are super interested in this, you know, is there a way to kind of make it, you know, in, in normal time. So when we are past the COVID era of, of things and people can travel again, is there a way you would recommend people could maybe travel to interact with sled dogs and maybe try it out? I mean, is that even a possible thing for someone to be able to just get a little taste of what the sport is like? Yeah, definitely. There are lots of different, um, you know, dog sled touring companies and things, um, especially here um, in northern Minnesota, uh, Michigan there. There's a couple different ones that do a great job where you could go out for like a half a day or a day trip and just see what it's like. Um, you know, that's a good way to do it. Another way just to to see more about it is if you can find a race that you'd want to go and see. It's really cool to be able to watch it from that perspective, just to be able to, you know, see the dogs, see the team and kind of watch what everybody does and how they all interact, that kind of thing. That's another great way to pick up some of that. Uh, it's definitely something that you want to, you know, try out before you just jump full blown into it there, because like we said, it doesn't, it's, if it's something that you love doing and something it's, it's more of a lifestyle than a hobby. It's not like other sports. You can't just kind of put your gear away when the season's over you know you've got those dogs year-round and that kind of thing and so it's not something you want to jump into until you know that it's something you're going to be totally okay with being committed to you know 24 7 365 what if we want to follow you or just learn more about dog sledding in general are there movies we should watch people we should follow on social media podcasts we should be listening to and also like where i mean i know you just finished this race but if we want to come spectate sometime in the near future like where should we be headed to watch um aaron and wilder and blackhawk like throwing down <laughs> yeah for sure so um a facebook page aaron and friends mushing feel free to follow there we try to post things on a regular basis keep people up to date with what's going on in training if you have questions you can message there and we're always happy to answer them there um, as far as races and events, you know, this year, again, COVID, like, has, you know, affected everything there. So there weren't too many other events to go on. So um, now we're just kind of enjoying the rest of our time in the woods there, just uh, getting to know each other better as a team. Uh, but we'll be back again racing next year. Um, I think we'll for sure hit the Bear Grease there. That's a good one. Um, but, yeah, as far as other races that are going on, there's not too many. I know there's one, um, the Copper Dog in Michigan. But, again, all events are saying, you know, spectators, we'd love to have you watch but follow us on social media because of covid and that kind of thing so um yeah definitely if this gets under control and it's something you're interested in i do highly recommend watching a race because to be able to see it in person to feel that excitement to hear the noise and excitement of you know dogs and mushers and all of that going on in person is really something cool to see Aaron, I think you gave your mom control of the Facebook page while you were racing the Bear Grease. And I have to say, I appreciated that so much because my thought was just that, like, if I had allowed my mother to take over my social media while I was racing or something, I was like, this would have been a catastrophe. But she did a really great job. So I just want to make sure she gets her kudos here, too. <laughs> 
Thanks. I will be sure to let her know. Yeah, she is the PR director there for the Aaron and Friends Mushing page. She does most of the posts, well, most of the posts, even during training and things, just because uh, she really does enjoy it and uh, she's better at it than I am. So it's terrific to have her supporting and, um, you know, helping the team from that aspect uh, does mean a lot, too. So. Well, thank you so much for teaching us about dog sledding. Congratulations again on your race. I, you know, in non-COVID times, I'm going to get to a finish line again and watch you finish because it sounds like it's very, very exciting and I want to be there. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me, ladies. This was a blast. Hey, feisty folks. Jamila here, the Feisty Team Community Innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the Feisty Team to help you all stay feisty no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests, big sponsor discounts, swag and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty like-minded friends. Plus we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com. Haley, I've been doing some research on winter adventures and hiking, and guess what one of the most important gear pieces is for winter hiking? Hmm, a really warm coat, snowshoes, an ice axe? Okay, well, maybe those, but also sunscreen. It's not just a summer product, and that is why my Zelios Sun Barrier is still at the top of my pack. Thanks for the tip, Alyssa. If any of our listeners want to top off their hiking packs with Zilio's Sun Barrier or their gym bags with Zilio's Race Relief Recovery Gel, Swim and Sport Shower Products, or Betwixt Anti-Chafe Chammy Cream, use code IRONWOMEN for 20% off at teamzilios.com. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.